For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating? Please, 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 I'm going to start it. I'm going to get it out of the way. Tomorrow is election day. If you haven't done so already, vote, vote, vote. You know, it's interesting. Last night on our Let That Go show, we had Aaron Grillor on the show, a well-known astrologer. And he said, when you cast your ballot, just simply say these words, I'm voting for the good of all concerned. And I think that if we all do that, perhaps everything's going to work out the way that everything is scheduled to roll out. I also want to mention, I don't know where a lot of you are tonight, but here in New York, uh, I'm going to, first of all, bring on my guest so we can just jump right into it. Will Nanziata, I am so glad you're here. Uh, Have you been out tonight? I have, yes. Have you seen the moon? I didn't get to look. You know what it is? I need to look up more. You need to look up more. Here in Rockland County, the moon is as big as a pizza pie, as they say. I mean, it is enormous. It, I mean, it is such a gorgeous moon. And of course, everybody in New York, we're having what they used to refer to as an Indian summer. Mm. Uh, and everybody, I mean, I, you know, I had a doctor's appointment. This, uh, people are in shorts in November walking around and there is this feeling of spring in the air. And uh, so hopefully everyone's having a good night and uh, we're going to have a, an even greater night 24 hours from now. So, but tonight we have Will Nunziata on the show and uh, about a week or two ago, I had your brother on the show. And how lucky are we in New York and beyond that we get two Nunziatas? I mean, you guys are just the best. And Did I, my mother pay you, Richard. Come on, <laughs> I, you know, but I, it was such a, an honor to have him on the show. And now we're going to start with you tonight. I want to ask who or what are you celebrating tonight? Wow, that's a great question. Well, first and foremost, before I get started, Richard, I know I told you off camera, but it's really important that I mention that what you do here is really important. To be seen, to be heard, to be connected now more than ever, you provide that safe space. And it's not very often as an artist where we get that safe space. So first and foremost, I wanted to thank you. And the shows that you do are absolutely incredible. Well, I want to thank you for that. And let's talk about safe spaces. I think that's a great jumping off part. Uh, We got a lot of the history. Go and watch the show. But when did you feel safe the first time on stage in front of an audience? My goodness. Well, I know my brother probably mentioned this, but for those who didn't see his, I was the kid. I knew I needed to be a part of it, New York, New York for as long as I can remember. I remember, um, I would say the first time I remember vividly, I was in nursery school. I was four years old. I sang, I got up on the table of the lunch table of nursery school and decided of course not to sing in up-tempo which would have been so much more appropriate. Like from this musical called Oliver, it would have been appropriate if I sang, you know, food, glorious food. But of course, I wanted the audience to lean in from day one. So I, of course, sang Where is Love from Oliver. And I just remember, Richard, four, four and a half years old, just like literally getting up on stage, literally waiting for everyone to quiet down. And then just going, where is love? I mean, there was a trauma being released by little old Will at four and a half years old singing, where is love on the lunch table? But so to answer your question, I would say it was nursery school. I have to say this, Sumatsuki, who I love, Sumatsuki uh, said that when she was a young girl, she would get up and she would sing Love for Sale 
which is not really an appropriate song for a little girl to be singing. (laughs) I mean, every time I hear her tell this story, it just cracks me up to hear her tell that story. Uh, But did you feel instantly that this was where you belonged? And what was it, if you can recall in your four-year-old self, um, that compelled you to get up on that table to sing in the first place? I think it's the same thing that when I was performing all the way up through when I was 34 years old, you know, performing professionally from when I was 10 to 34, it was the same North Star I had at four years old. I love making people smile and it always remained my North Star. I would, you know, even if I could just make one person, I know as hokey as it sounds, but truly like, there was just something within me. If I could just make one person smile, Period. End of story. Do you recall the first time that you were aware that there was a world out there that was called show business, that it was something that you were gravitating towards? Yeah, definitely. I would say it was from my family. I mean, you know, although my my father, he is an amazing creative director in advertising, worked with Saatchi and Saatchi. So I knew of like some sort of, there was a biz of show, but it was really my mom's dad, whom I'm named after. His name was Bill Wendell, and he was one of the original NBC staff announcers um, with Don Pardo in the 40s and later became the announcer of game shows such as Tic-Tac-Toe, To Tell the Truth, Ernie Kovacs. But it was really in the 80s and 90s when he was the announcer of David Letterman, both at NBC and later CBS. He would come to these dinners during the holidays And I just remember like open ears and eyes hearing about these stories of how real show business people were because, you know, my grandfather as the announcer would get to eavesdrop in on these people before the camera light went on. And I was always asking so, and it's like, no wonder I'm a director now because all I'm about is like digging and peeling back the onion. It wasn't about like, what fancy person did you mean? I was like, what were they like right before that light went on? And I wanted to know like how they felt, what their demeanor was, how they how they treated the stage crew, how they treated you. I, I was just so, so it was really, to answer your question, Richard, my grandfather, Bill Wendell. That's great. Well, a lot of people uh, who are not in the business uh, may not get a sense of where I'm going with this, but uh, those of us who were in the business, we know what it's like to aspire to be in the spotlight. But you learn very quickly that it's really about collaboration. It's about all the people. It's the person running the spotlight. It's about uh, the people that uh, sell the tickets to get you to your seat. It's all those things. When did you first become aware of collaboration? And I'm asking these questions uh, and going down a path because you are such a brilliant director. When did you first start learning about collaboration? I mean, my God, um, literally, I know this sounds awful and I hope everyone's eating their dinner, but in the womb. I mean, I literally was born into a collaboration and <laughs> that's true. You know what I mean? Thank God the egg split, but that's for me and my therapist, Richard. Yeah. Well, well uh, you know, I had Sheila Evans on here the other day and she said that I should be a therapist. So uh, she was so good. Again, talking about seeing and hearing and, you know, it was in that collaboration with my brother, you know, as my brother, but also professionally for, almost 25 years, you know, I learned, I just learned naturally what it is to share one's ideas, but that best idea truly wins. And um, so it definitely just began from an early age with my brother, collaborating with him and negotiating a lot of big opinions with someone who also happened to look like me. I don't know if your mom is watching tonight, but if she is, and she'll see this at some point, I hope, I want to say kudos to her because two uh, two things that I learned uh, from having Anthony on the show is number one, that she really stressed with both of you, your individuality, which I think God bless her. And, you know, in going to school, you know, you basically went in your, opposite directions but of course you came together for those moments when it was going to be beneficial for both of you which i think is very important so congratulations on all of that yeah she's great i mean you know my mom 
my dad, even my God bless my sister, the normal one who is not in the circus of showbiz. Um, you know, just uh, growing up, the fact that they had my brother and I, my parents had my brother and I in elementary school in separate classes. Um, it really, it really, really gave us that space, talk that safe space to be ourselves and not just one of the twins, but Will and Anthony. So I'm grateful for my parents for that. Now we've talked about that pull to get you on the stage. Do you remember the first time uh, that you went to see either a Broadway show or a concert or something and what that experience was like for you? Absolutely, Richard. I remember seeing Showboat, Hal Prince's revival of Showboat. And while, you know, you might think- Don't tell me how old you are because I saw I saw it in previews in Toronto. <laughs> Richard, I am 38 going on 98, kid. Okay, literally. I was, I saw, I remember having a discussion with my parents who were like, what? When, after I saw Showboat, I could not stop looking at what Hal Prince did with that stage mm -hmm. as a chessboard. The way that he used those beautiful actors as beautiful pieces on a board and the way that he... He moved them deliberately. I That was the first thing I ever picked up on. It was never, oh my God, I want to play that part. Or, oh my God, it was all about, I know this sounds so hokey woke, but I'm glad you asked it. You know, as a nine-year-old, looking at the chessboard, how, it, how a stage could be used as a chessboard and how, how bodies on a stage could optically be seen and told a story plus the interweaving, it's like, the, it was like a patchwork on stage and how the music became a thread in that patchwork, how the staging, how the set, the costumes, the lighting, the soundscape, how everything was the thread keeping this patchwork of a chessboard together. 10 years old, I didn't even ever know what directing was really until college, but I realized that my love of theater actually began with seeing it from 30,000 because of Hal Prince's production of Showboat, which was at the then Gershwin, which I don't think was called the Gershwin then. Was it the Uris? No, it was called the Gershwin at that time. It was the Gershwin. Yeah. Um, I, I remember one moment in that production where after Old Man River, and there was a backdrop of cotton fields. Do you remember this? You bet your bottom dollar. And the actor literally we reached up and grabbed the entire, I mean, this huge backdrop, of course, it was rigged to the point where it would come crashing down. And I mean, I have chills still thinking about that because it was such an incredible moment in that production. And of course, that was the first time I saw on stage Rebecca Luker. Oh, Richard, I mean, talk about, talk about a voice and a light. And I mean, and you know, it was the first time I saw Elaine Stritch on stage and little old theater geek will i knew that i went i'd always did my homework and i'm all about going to the source material even at nine years old and so i listened to the original album so when i saw that parthy was getting the song um oh god richard what was it that she sang to the baby why do i love you i was like oh my God, that's genius. And I want to know who that Elaine Stritch was because there's something about her. And then of course I become obsessed with her moving forward. But just the way that Hal was able to bring new light to a show that was written so many years ago, but yet him looking back to look forward. I just remember feeling that it was so pertinent then, now more than ever. And, um, and to that point too, that beautiful moment that you mentioned with Omen River, it was one of those moments that I look back on that I'm like, wow, that, 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 that there are specific moments of breath that can occur in a theater piece, that when they happen, they matter, that you don't do too many, that you can have something be relentless and moving like a locomotion. I like to say, you know, sometimes we want to go express from Grand Central to New Haven, but when we stop at 125th, make it matter. That's a 125th Street moment that you mentioned. Absolutely. Well, you, you, you both basically embarked on this career together, performing in concerts and everything. But in the back of your mind, were you always thinking about the direction and where you wanted to go with that? And forgive me for going where I'm about to go. 
were you con I mean, did you feel that, you, you know, even working together that the directorial side of you was bubbling to come out? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially after college, Richard, I mean, look at Anthony and I had so many beautiful opportunities in middle school, singing professionally, coming to the city, doing jingles. High school, we got, you know, we were varsity athletes. We sang in the musicals. We started in the musicals. We were like freaks of nature. But I knew that at college, um, I lived in the theater. I lived in that theater department. Anthony went for journalism, um, but I lived in that theater. And it wasn't until, even though, again, we had beautiful opportunities in college together to perform, you know, with the Boston Pops and, you know, and, and, and things of that nature where I realized I had to pursue the thing with singing, but that one day I would, I would enter, I would enter being a director, but it, it really was, you know, it really was, I graduated college and I was the assistant to uh, Lonnie Price on the 2007 revival of 110 in the Shade. And I'll never forget that process of being able to eavesdrop in on some of my favorite actors' work, Steve Kazee, Audra McDonald, John Cullum. And I realized, Richard, in that experience, I hope Lonnie isn't watching, but that I was a really bad assistant, but I, was, I had too many ideas. And I was like, I think I need to pursue this thing with Anthony until until I feel like I have all the tools in my arsenal to, to enter in as a director and a creator. And I couldn't, for some people it's great, Richard, and God bless them. I knew I couldn't go the assistant associate route. I well, knew that. if we can talk about that for just a moment. Yes. When, you, when you had this job working with Lonnie Price, one of the best, um, did you, uh, was it, uh, Obviously, this, I mean, was that, do you consider that your first big break on that side of the realm? Or were there other steps leading up to that? And I ask this question because as you were doing this, um, were you able, some people can, some can't, to just go, wow, this is where I belong and I'm going to observe and study? I had a teacher in school and she ended every class by saying, read, reread and take notes. And I always think about that with all that I do. Uh, were you able to just sit back and I mean, not just sit back, but to sit back and observe what was going on? Or did you really have that pull to be in the center ring? I really made a deliberate decision, Richard to be a student. And I I'm so grateful I did because that's something that is still um, so much a part of who I am as an artist, as a director, as a human, that the moment I stop being a student, I really need to investigate if it's worth doing. Um, I, think it, I think there's a certain sense of wonder and curiosity I've always had. Again, going back to like the story with my grandfather, I was always asking questions. I was that annoying person who was just constantly, constantly, constantly asking questions. And so, um, again, going back to I was a bad assistant, I was fine, but I was, I, I was just constantly asking questions. And I'm so grateful I made the deliberate decision at that point, Richard, to be a student and an observer. And I still feel like that. Now, as you were being pulled in that direction, were there specific directors that you really emulated or aspired to be like, or that you studied, speaking of being a student, uh, what, who were the directors that stand out for you? And in your opinion, uh, what do you consider makes them each a great director? Mm, great question. You're so good at this, Richard. Has anyone told you that lately? <laughs> it's nice to hear it again, so thank you. Um, I think at that point, you know, just graduating college, I think I had two North Stars at the time. Um, it was Hal Prince and Jerry Zachs. For Hal Prince, I loved, um, I loved that he was very much a dramaturgical and conceptual director, yeah. that, he, he's, that he was able to take a piece, place a concept. I know I hate that word, but 
I'm, I'll just go with it because I can't think of any other one. I thought he was able to kind of frame a story to really heighten the stakes and the truth of the matter. So Hal has always been and continues to be a North Star for me and was, especially when I first, you know, in that first 110 in the Shade experience. Um, and um, yeah, and for Jerry, my love of his knack of comedy, I feel like in my studying of Jerry Zachs and his productions, um, thank God we have that beautiful resource. And I hope that everyone out there, especially those youngins, um, again, I'm 38 going on 98. Oh, so way beyond that. <laughs> really, he was, he was going to Lincoln Center Performing Arts Library and seeing all these great artists' productions. And with Jerry, I really instill marvel at his, his ability to get into the rhythm of a show. I feel like he's able to gauge a temperature and a rhythm and a motor of a show through comedy. And I think as a musician, and we can get into this, you know, one of the tools I'm so grateful I was able, I've been able to, I, to, to put into my tool belt because of my performing with Anthony is understanding um, the rhythm and motor of a show. Because I remember being downstage center, literally and figuratively at Carnegie Hall and at these concert stages and knowing when I'm looking at my watch, I'm getting a little bored, the audience is gonna get bored, or when to take a breath and that it's okay for people to lean in. Oh, but when do we need the up-tempo? So anyway, so I would say long and short, Hal for his dramaturgical and conceptual work and Jerry for um, his sense of rhythm play and understanding of comedy. Now, I know while all this was going on, you were also periodically doing your concerts and doing those things. Mm -hmm. um, when did the doors start to open for you as a director? That uh, you, what was you, what are you, uh, your first directorial uh, job when it was your name as the director on the show? What was that show? I would say it's when I literally had a dream in 2013 of um, reconceiving John Kander and Fred Ebb's um, musical, The Act, a 1977 musical that starred Liza Minnelli. But I always sought in my head immersively to set it in a nightclub and to have more than one person play the lead nightclub singer and how cool it would be to take the songs so I wouldn't have to get the rights to the book, mm -hmm. but to get the songs and to place each of the women, the female identifying actors all over the nightclub, 54 Below, did like four nights. Um, and uh, I, I just literally, Richard, it was like a, just kind of like a set it and forget it and just like not overthink. I'm like old school. So I, I was able to, through a friend, find out John Kander's um, contact information. I painted the picture for him and he was like, I'm in. And he came to the final rehearsal. My dad has this beautiful photo he took of um, me and John. And you can see it on my Facebook. He literally has his like arms over me. And my dad, I could get emotional thinking about it, is, um, you know, my dad's a big baseball fan. And also, I'm sure, very difficult for my parents at that time. We're talking 2014, when my brother and I were still performing nonstop but I needed to do this thing for me. And uh, he took the photo during the final rehearsal with John doing this, like you done good kid. It's like, you know, with his arms over me, he took a photo of it and he said, well, your first directing gig and you're working with the Mickey Mantle of musical theater. Wow. And you were, wow. You know, wow. To, get, to get that affirmation from a parent, your dad and, so that was a great experience. I got to meet some of my nearest and dearest friends from that production, including two Tony winners who became who become collaborators and friends, Katie Huffman and Randy Graff. But also, I got I got to meet um, got to meet John and you just mentioned two women that I love, love, love. I love them both so much. The best, the best. And of course, I saw Katie as Peggy Lee. Wow, 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 wow. That was, that was another idea that honestly came, again, if there's anything I want to parlay to 
not even budding directors and not even artists, just anyone. I really am a firm believer that everyone's an artist and creator at heart. That if you have an idea, don't wait for anyone. I had an idea that, um, I forget, you know, Katie and I both co-conceived it, but you know, I forget what, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, but. Well, came- that's my, you, you beat me to my next question. I, I wanna know where this seed was planted because it was, I saw Peggy Lee live and uh, it was just such an incredible evening of theater. Not a, it, it wasn't just a cabaret, it was theater. And it was so brilliantly put together. Thank you. It's one of the proudest things I've ever done because, again, whether it was the act at 54 or when I did, you know, Our Guy, Cy, Cy Coleman Review, I wanted to create the Jerry Girl, Jerry's Girls version of a Cy Coleman show if I had $10 million and we could go into the booth for three months, you know. But with Peggy Lee, I was so curious if, 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 if the audience was able to eavesdrop in on Peggy Lee, maybe in the afterlife, keep it meta. I'm all about theaters, about ideas. Let people go on the, their own journey, but that in the form of a concert, what happens if Peggy came back and actually sang and said what she wishes she could have done? And I, it became a beautiful spiritual experience for both Katie and me. Everything, every word was actually Peggy Lee's. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah, I remember that. That was incredible. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. So um, let's go back to the act for a moment. <laughs> um, having No, I, I wish that I had seen it. Um, but getting this opportunity uh, to just be in the same, you know, moment with, you know, John Kander and to have this great experience what did you what did you come what did you gain from that experience that has propelled you even further i th- i think i just started trusting in myself you know i think as artists and as humans we tend to doubt ourselves and listen to the noises in our head that says we can't um but i think getting that affirmation from john from Katie, from Randy, from other amazing friends from that production, including Julia Murney. I had Anna Klumsky, who at the time was starring in Veep. I got to meet Karen Mason, who's become a dear friend. My friend Stacey Bono, who just was starred in Parade at Encores. Um, Nika Graf Lanzarone. I mean, I think it was to just trust my instincts in that just to go with my gut. And as long as I'm creating a safe space for artists to be their best selves and to build a room that's a best idea wins room that's filled with joy and for artists to feel like they can play in the sandbox with abandon, that 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 at the end of the day, you know, that's all we have when we put our head on the pillow at night. It's like, you know, did I make... Did, uh, You know, I always go back, Richard, when I get tongue-tied like I am right now to a quote I read on my vision board every night before I go to bed and every morning when I wake up, which is my Angelos quote, people people aren't going to remember what you did. They're going to remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just, I feel such love from that experience. And so um, to answer your question, finally, I think I learned... I learned to let go and just to uh, allow allow myself to let go of the how and to just be in the moment and enjoy it. Well, you bring up two, uh, an interesting point. You have to, first of all, trust yourself, mm-hmm. but it goes even bigger than that. When you are directing a show, uh, in the case of doing shows that are in cabaret, you pretty much uh, pick your own projects and get involved um, on that level. Mm. Uh, it, it's not like you're being, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, please do, um, that you're being brought into a, a, a certain production saying, you know, we want uh, you to come into this. So obviously that artist has to trust you from the very beginning. So kudos to you for creating those safe spaces for mm. the 
uh, for the artist. Uh, but let's talk specifically, I want to uh, put Katie on the spot for a moment uh, about the Peggy Lee show because it, it just resonated so deeply for me. Uh, um, I saw it twice. Um, when, uh, when you conceived this idea of doing this show, um, what was your process creating the show from a director's perspective? It's interesting, right? Because I was wearing the head of director, but also essentially writer. And, you know, getting in the trenches with Katie was, um, I wanted to just first and foremost, before we add the flourish, investigate the superfluous and get to the heart of the matter. And I wanted to figure out with Katie, and we did so painstakingly in a great way, finding out what the truth of the matter was. So wanted to find out all the truth and then taking creative license um, on the emotional arc. So the process for me was laying a strong foundation. If, if the basement of the house was firm and truthful, how would we be able to take me and Katie creative license, but still honor, um, you know, still honor Peggy um, in a way that she would have been proud. Now, Katie is a brilliant actress. I've seen her in so many shows over the years. She's a brilliant actress. Uh, at what point, I mean, did was the fact that uh, she, she could, did she know that she could embody Peggy Lee to the extent that she did prior to you working on this project? Or did you find that through your process? I'm always fascinated I love to say that as a director and a creator, I'm in the business of devastation. And I feel like in an industry that likes to pigeonhole people, I hope that as a director, I can continue by showing and not telling and through my action, giving people the opportunity to show skill sets outside of what people might in a lazy way just say, oh, they can just do that. Katie, at that point, I feel that was never given truly an opportunity to be still and really use all of that dance background and vivacious movement and va-va-voom. What happens, I was so curious, if, what happens if we were to able to bottle up, like Peggy, for Katie, all of that energy in those feet, like trunks of a tree from here to China, and have it just bubble up all through her eyes? Because that's what Peggy did, that there was such danger in Peggy, that every flick of... Every flick of the, this, this snap, every glance, everything was deliberate. Everything had the stakes of a Fosse move or a Susan Stroman kick or uh, a, a big, you know, brassy belt. I'm like, what happens if we were to take Katie Hoffman in this beautiful arsenal of talent mm -hmm. and give her a Marlena Dietrich spotlight? and bottle up so much so that by that 11 o'clock number, our Peggy for the assignment of the show that Katie and I built had to burst. Something that Peggy really never did, but we were giving, giving her the opportunity to do, if that makes sense. So I love, um, I love giving performers, once in a generation artists and performers a safe space to show a color, a texture, a tool, that they may not have ever been able, you know, to do. What is your deciding uh, factor when it comes to deciding on a project? It has to scare me. And I think that began for me, Richard, you know, I mentioned the act, but, you know, another moment that came right around the act was when I'll never forget the opening night of the off-Broadway incarnation of Disaster, the musical Seth Rudetsky's mm -hmm. Disaster, I saw in the lobby an artist who was my North Star in terms of female, what represented like Broadway to me in terms of like a female talent. And that was someone who has become truly one of my best friends. Oh, Lilius wow. White, Lilius White. And oh, my God, do I love Lilius. I saw her in the lobby. I'll never forget. Talk about love at first sight. Don't tell my husband. But no, he knows. Um, I saw her and Richard, I said in my head, will you're a director 
you're not going to direct and write in pitch to write and direct her cabaret. What you want to do, Will, is build her version of Lena Horn Lady and her music. And I went right up to her and I said, Lilius, she goes, hey, baby. And I said, hi, I'm Will. She's like, oh, aren't you one of those twins? And I was like, yeah, I'm one of those twins. But... <laughs> I can hear her now, Zoe Bet. And she, I said, I'm one of those twins, but I'm also Will and I'm a director. She goes, is that right? And I said, we're going to meet tomorrow, 12 noon. But guess what? We're going to meet at 1145 at Vinyl Restaurant on 51st and 9th. Vinyl Restaurant, may that restaurant rest in peace. Long and short, Richard. Very well, yes. The next day, we beat it out the whole show. And that began a collaboration that's been over a decade. I think every single, that became the Lilius White effect. And that was my first rave in the time. Stephen Holden gave it a rave. And, you know, that was nice. A couple of years ago, uh, I did one of my live versions of Richard Skipper Celebrates. And we celebrated uh, John Kander on his birthday. And I had Lilius White in the show, Karen Ziamba in the show, uh, Jana Robbins was in the show. Haley Swindle. I mean, it was just like I and I sat on stage with Lilius White singing, and the world goes round yeah. in my ear. And I, I could have, if I had uh, passed away that day, I would have died a happy man uh, because I, I just love that woman so much. Well, she's a, she's one of the biggest hearts. I mean, I could cry thinking about this because she's very special to me. She's my Lil. I'm her. Like we have a very. It's a kinship. Well, there's a sister brother. Yes, please do. I will, and we're working on. Um, we're working on. We're working on something that I'm hoping um, on a true proscenium stage in New York. Um, that's going to be, I think, a legacy piece in the vein of Lena Horn Lady and her music meets Elaine Stritch at Liberty for Lilius. And wow. I'm very excited about it. Um, I, you know, I, I, it's not that I can't say anything. I just don't want to jinx it. But I, I, do wanna, I feel like safe to just put it out there in the universe. It's the first time I'm really talking about it, that Lilius deserves a downstage center moment on Broadway because her story, Richard, is beyond the YouTube clips of the Tony Award performances and these beautiful, iconic theatrical moments. This is a woman who is a survivor, has been uh, a leader in our industry for m more than 40 years and is, talk about someone who has a childlike sense of wonder. But Lily is saying yes to me in that lobby of the off-Broadway incarnation of disaster. Okay, baby. That, Richard. Little old Will, that was the person I, I imitated. And so, you know, again, to the artists and people out there who ever have that voice in them that says, it's really scary, but in awkward, do the awkward, scary thing. Because you never know. You never know the doors that it can unlock. That's wonderful. Have you heard her recording at Archie's place? Oh, forget it. The best. The One best. of my favorite moments is when she says, can you hear me back there? I can hear you. <laughs> Richard, I'm a firm believer that imitation is the best form of flattery. You bet your bottom dollar that in every show I've done with her, I make sure that we place it at least once, at least once, where literally we see, hey, baby. You, uh, yeah, right, right. Can you hear me back there? Yeah, good. I can sure as hell hear you. <laughs> Just place it once. But again, it's, uh, she's great, Richard, and I will give um, your love to her, of course. Because I'm crazy about her. Um, who are your holy grails? Are they out there? Do you want to mention them? You want to put it out to the universe tonight? In terms of performers? In terms of you to, uh, to direct. My gosh, are there any, um, hmm. I would there are so many performers out there, Richard, that are so dangerous. Um, I'm working with one right now. And um, I mean, I don't, I don't wanna single out one because I love my cast. I'm literally in the midst of um, rehearsals 
for um, an industry presentation of this beautiful new musical, White Rose, the musical based upon yes. a true story of uh, students during Nazi Germany who actually warned Germans about the rise of this guy named Hitler, who was, you know, loud and mean and they were the ones questioning by warning people with these leaflets that they, um, this group, the White Rose, warned people with these leaflets that they put under doors on bus stops and cafes. But the, the heroine of the show is Sophie Shaw, this young university student. And she's being played by beautiful Ren Rivera. They are one of the most miraculous talents I've ever worked with. And so, you know, but the whole cast is an absolutely incredible. Um, but um, so I always wanted to work with Ren and now that I'm able to work with them, that's cool. Um, oh my God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back to you because so many are going through my head, Richard, but um, I love new talent. Mm -hmm. I love new talent. I love, I love scoping through Instagram and, seeing the new talent that's out there. I love, I love dangerous talent. I love talent that makes me lean in. Um, so uh, yeah, I can't think of anyone right now, but Ren, they are, uh, they're amazing. As is the entire cast of White Rose, by the way. Now, is, you know, flipping the coin a little bit, is yeah. there a director out there that you would love to have the opportunity to direct you? Would you, uh, I go back to doing performing uh, or are you very much entrenched in where you are right now? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm very much entrenched in my directing. However, um, the directors now that I didn't know in 2007 that I would love to grab a coffee with and pick their brain is Marion Elliott. I think that she, frankly, combines the skill sets of Hal, Prince, and Jerry Zaks that I love so much. I think she gets musicality and rhythm like no other director out there. I also love that she's able to place, again, I hate this word, but I hate it, but I love it, but I wish I had a better word, concepts on a show, but that, that, She's truly able to, through her lens, not just put her stamp on it and be like, look what I did, that was so cute. No, but actually putting, actually placing a POV on a show to heighten the material, if that makes sense. Marion Elliott, she's, she's badass. Mm -hmm. I, I wanna have a drink with her. That's great. Coffee. So you've been in this business your entire life. You've seen a lot of changes. What are changes that you absolutely love that you have seen in the business? And what are things that you truly miss that are no longer in place? I'll answer your, the latter first. I mean, even even though I wasn't around, but my studying of the musicals of the 40s and 50s and 60s and even 70s, there was just more room for play. I think that the musical theater landscape has become, it's, it's I mean, it's, it's, this business is always tough, but the sense of danger, again, in the sense of risk is kind of out the window. So I wish at times that if there were, I know it's show business, but I wish that our industry would take, would take a look at more, and it's happening slowly but surely, you know, with the fun homes, the Hades towns, the strange loops, um, I just wish our industry, our producers would lean in and take a little closer look at, um, at, 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 at these really 
unique, exquisite, exotic bird of talents out there who are telling these universal stories in such creative ways and to give them a chance, give them a chance and a seat at the table. Now to answer your first part of the question, I'm excited that because of the pandemic, I think everyone had an opportunity to be still. I'm so happy that um, especially the artists of the world have taken it upon themselves to also realize that as artists, we're activists and we can't keep quiet. And if we feel like there's some sort of injustice and I'm really happy that a lot of those voices were amplified in a time when we were all forced to listen. It's like, in my mind, I'm like, well, it's about time, you know, world like, hello, but I'm happy it's happening. And that, um, I mean, it's interesting. last night I watched Gentleman's Agreement, which I had never seen before. Mm. Um, and, you know, and at one point, I mean, Celeste Holm became a friend of uh, my, both Danny and me, uh, you know, in the last years of her life. And I got to know her very well. Uh, Danny and Celeste share a birthday. So we oh, uh, wow. spent birthdays together and everything. Oh. Have you ever seen Gentleman's Agreement? Oh my God, I never have. No, I saw it for the first time last night, so don't knock what it. What is it on? It was on TCM, but yeah. last night, it, 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 I mean, it, it deals with anti-Semitism and the complacency that people have with not saying anything and letting things go by. And I know that right now, not wanting to get political on this show, but there's a lot at stake right now. Yep. And a lot of people are not speaking out about a lot of things. Um, when I think that what concerns me um, is as, I, I mean, for me, my word is my bond. And the worst thing that somebody could do to me, uh, there are many things, but is to lie to me. Mm. And when we live in an age now where lying is acceptable right. um, and has become, you know, part of the rule rather than the exception. Mm. Uh, that concerns me. Mm-hmm. And it's these little lies. And thank God you're doing White Rose and the work that you're doing with getting these messages out, because that is what theater truly is about. It allows, Richard, I mean, the way that you were able to thread that together to bring it back to the, to why art is so important now to give us as a society a mirror. In the case of White Rose, you know, it's a story that unfortunately not many people know about, that there were these young resistors that I think were really the impetus to so many of the resistance movements moving forward. And that today, unfortunately, it's a timely story of of, you know, it just takes, it just took these group of kids to make us, to, 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 to ignite the pilot in that it was a baton that was then able to be passed throughout time. And you look at all of these amazing resistors and as artists, Richard, I don't know if, you know, you agree or not, I'm sure you do, but as artists, I think now more than ever, we have to use our voices as activists because, um, I mean, this is something, I mean, even doing this show. You bet. Um, if, God forbid, someone wants to silence what I have to say or the guests that I have to go on the show or something. And trust me when I say this, folks, it is not outside the realm of possibility. Mm. Uh, if it's happened before, it can happen again. And I think we just need to, uh, uh, and I think it's important as artists, you know, it's very interesting that in this profession, a lot of people feel, well, they're an actor, you know, what do they have to say? And yeah. that they shouldn't be speaking out. Mm-hmm. But I think if you've got the platform, I mean, we, and I'm not gonna mention the name, but a very well-known, I don't know, around the country if everyone's getting this story, but someone, a very well-known sports figure shared a video on his Instagram last week 
um, celebrating anti-Semitism. And when he was called on it, he lost a lot of endorsement deals and everything. His response was, well, I didn't make the film. I was only sharing it. Every single thing that we do, when you take on a project as a director, uh, you're lending your voice to that message. That's right. Uh, the actors that you work with, the people that you, uh, we, every action we take every day, we are lending our energy and our voices to these projects. So it's very, very important that we do speak out. So I'm going to play a little game with you uh, as we uh, wind down. And uh, I, just, I have to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. You have such a beautiful vibration about you. And I hope that people go back and see your other interviews and also support this show when and how they can, because it's a vibration we need now. I, and I, I, I like, I really, not to make a call to action, but I am going to make a call to action and put on my director hat, literally and figuratively. I really want people to look back. Well, we might be talking because I'm working on a project and I want to talk to you about it. Good, baby. Good. That's all I'm going to say. Good. So anyway, let's have a little fun here. Sorry. I've got some fun questions. These are random questions. I've got, I've got these things. It, it's called an impact deck. Ooh. And I pulled six cards randomly. And okay. I'm going to ask you as we wind down this evening. Okay. And the first one is, do something that demonstrates to your friends that you're someone they can rely on. We already know that through your directorial work and through your work as an artist and as a performer and entertainer yourself on stage. But what is it about Will Nunziata that people can rely on? That I'm always going to be truthful, that I'm always going to be honest, and that I'm always going to give you the best I can. Good answer. Good answer. Next, uh, refresh your social media feed to escape your echo chamber and increase your mix of viewpoints. I'll mention this because I've mentioned it before. I'm leading Facebook. And, I saw that, Richard. Yeah, and it's a positive. On yes. December 1st, I'm actually going to be doing a Facebook Live where I'm going to be thanking all the people that I have met over the years. But there are reasons why I have to do this uh, for my own sense of well-being. Yeah. And uh, I've made that choice. But I want to ask you, and Harriet uh, Rudinsky is here. There is a musical harmony written by Barry Manilow and Bruce Sussman. It is a true story. Yes, absolutely, Harriet. Uh, but I want to ask you, do you feel that because of social media that you get caught up in an echo chamber? And if so, how do you step outside of it? Well, I, uh, and this is, you know, I decided during the pandemic that anytime I was going to post something to just let people know what I've been up to or what I'm doing is I have a mantra of set it and forget it, where I literally, Richard, will post something and then leave social media. I don't spend time on it. I don't, but that's also bad because I have so many beautiful people who try to communicate with me or like something and I should be liking, but I feel like once I get on that hamster wheel, I feel like I'm a very, I'm an empath. So if I like, like one yeah, person, yeah. I need to do everyone. So I'm gonna I'm set it and forget it. So that honestly gives me the opportunity to set some boundaries. So I set it and forget it. Good for you. Uh, good answer there. Um, uh, what's your most powerful and vivid memory as a director? My gosh. Oh my God, Richard. I've had so many. Honestly, today, today, I got to be in a rehearsal room at Ripley Greer with... 10 of the finest actors in New York. And I looked around, I look around every morning, I get there half hour early every day to rehearsals. And I say, I can't believe I'm making a living doing what I love and that these artists are about to get in the sandbox and they somehow trust me. Wow. And that we, we were, we're gonna figure this out together. It was today. And every day as a director, Richard, I, oh, I do look back at times, but I'm really about, but also I'm looking forward. I have some great projects coming up, whether it be, you know, Little Black Book or other new musicals that I'm the director of developing. I'm developing a musical with uh, Broadway star Desi Oakley. Um, lots of new stuff. But to answer your question today, 
Perfect. Who was my favorite? What's the most embarrassing embarrassing thing that's happened to you uh, as a director? Oh my God, Peggy Lee. The first run of the show, the first run of the show, um, um, the first run of the show, there was a line that totally did not come from Peggy Lee's um, life, but somehow like I missed it. And I'm so happy someone who knew Peggy Lee more than me pointed it out. And it was a beat and I was like, how do you miss? But you know what, it, it made me realize that it's in the mistakes, the biggest lessons are learned. And so I well, always- You know, what, what was it exactly? I forget though. I, I think honestly, Richard, I blocked it out. It was such a moment and it was such a moment of like, holy shit, how did I not? But it was a moment of me realizing that there's, that, um, that there's an opportunity in mistakes. Absolutely, there always are. What's something you did as a child that your parents still retell the story about? Oh my God, that my brother, that, oh no, that I would, that I would, that I would get underwear and put it on my head and sing and just sing. I was, I, I just remember being two, three years old, just putting underwear on my head. And that for me was my activation of performing. So yeah, that I was. Do you still do that? You know what, Richard, that's between me and my husband. <laughs> But the answer, Richard, just is asking, no. Just asking. The answer is Where no. Where's your husband tonight? Is he with the dogs? He's with the dogs upstairs. My two little Maltese's. Yeah. Oh God. Well, next time you bring them on, and this is my. You know, it's a. It's actually a statement. Start a journaling practice and use it to explore how you feel. Yeah. Are you? Do you keep a journal? I do. I do. I keep a gratitude journal. I do. I'm glad to hear that. Well, I'm grateful that you were here tonight. Uh, this was so much fun. I just love you. I, it, you, know, you bring so much to our community. And so I want to acknowledge you and thank you for that. Uh, everyone knows I'm all about celebrating artists and their body of worth. That's what it's about. Mm -hmm. That's why I do what I do. So I want to thank everyone uh, for being here this evening. Don't go anywhere for a moment because I'm going to have my closing remarks and then I'm going to turn it over to you and I'm going to let you have the final word. Uh, it can be about anything that we talked about that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message that you want to leave everyone with tonight. And when you say goodbye, the final credits will roll. Okay. Uh, but I do want to take a moment uh, to say, because we are on the eve of tomorrow's election, uh, your, vo your voices matter. Um, even if you don't think they do, they matter. Please, please, please get out and vote and tell your friends to get out and vote and just get out there and do it. And like I said, from Aaron Grillor from last night, he said, just as you go into the voting booth, just say, I'm doing this for the best, of, uh, for the good of all concerned. And I think that's a good way of looking at it. Um, we're all, as my dear friend Sean Moniger says, uh, in this together, uh, but we're not in the same boat. Uh, and uh, I always say, if you're going to go out in a boat, bring, make sure you bring a skipper along. But I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Mm. Last week, I mean, speaking of directors, Jay Rogers, did you know Jay, Will? I didn't know. Jay directed my last show before the pandemic. We created a, a piece together called The Magic of Believing. And uh, Jay passed away last Friday. Oh my God, I'm and, so sorry. Uh, but we also lost Susan Schulman, uh, who uh, was one of the best publicists out there, as well as friends. Uh, she is going to, we're going to be celebrating her. I'm going to be joining forces with Charles Kirsch from Backstage Babble on Saturday afternoon, and we're going to celebrate her. Um, Jana Robbins. Her mom passed away at 100 years of age uh, last week. Oh. And then I'm going to share a very quick story. And then I'm going to, because the magic of uh, generosity. So when Hello Dolly, everyone who knows me 
And we'll tell them what happened before we went live tonight. Oh my God. Well, we were telling, well, oh my God. Well, you were telling me a story, an unfortunate story about how one of your dogs died, but that um, the dog, um, Horace. Horace Van der Gelder. Yeah. Horace Van der Gelder. We were talking about how the dog came, everyone. The dog may they rest in peace. God bless America. But then, of course, Richard, you said, well, Will, while you wait in the waiting room, can I can you play something? Can I play something that you want? And I said, oh, my God, anything you want. And you said, OK. And so you had your Alexa just kind of play whatever. And of course, it was Hello, Dolly. Hello, Dolly, Louis Armstrong. It came right on. So I wanted to go to the opening night of Hello, Dolly. And uh, it was my invitation only. And I said, what do I need to do uh, to get invited to the opening night of Hello, Dolly. And uh, a Facebook friend, someone that I had never met, reached out to me and she said, I don't know how, but I'm going to get you to the opening night of Hello, Dolly. And then she found out that Bette Midler uh, has the restoration project in New York, preserving our parks and uh, our highways and everything, was having an auction. Uh, and uh, so she went on and started bidding to take me to the opening night of Hello, Dolly. She said, don't worry, this is my gift to you. My accountant will love me for this. <laughs> so in the meantime, I win a contest on TCM. And I go out to California to present Jezebel, starring Betty Davis, at Grauman's Chinese Theater. I am on the red carpet, true story, with Lee Grant, Sidney Poitier, uh, because they were doing In the Heat of the Night across the street and Jezebel. On our, I mean, I, I am in heaven. Oh and my God. phone kept going, bing, 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 because of the bidding that was going on. And she was letting me know how it was going. And it went from like $500 to $1,000. And it kept going up and up and up. And I'm going, oh my God, please stop, 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 stop. Well, we win. $14,700 this woman paid to take me to the opening night of Hello, Dolly. I am sitting in the front and the after party. I get, we go to the Sardis before the show. I step off the elevator and the first person I see is Scott Rudin. And Scott Rudin goes, Richard Skipper, I'm so glad you're here. And I went, you schmuck. You could have invited me tonight instead of having this woman pay $14,700. We found out that the, the amount kept going up so high yeah. because another friend wanted to take me and was bidding against her, unbeknownst to us. So it just kept going up and up and up. But there I was on opening night of Hello, Dolly. And I tell this because... On Saturday was her birthday, and I went to wish her a happy birthday, only to find out that she had passed away six months ago. Oh, my God. And I, it, it, this woman, who I had never met, who knew something that was so important to me, mm. re helped me realize a dream. There I was on the opening night of Hello, Dolly, mm. with Bette Midler. Mm. Uh, literally, when Bette sang before the parade passes by, I could have grabbed her ankles. I was so close to her. So Eileen, I say this at the end of my shows, everybody go to your directory, your whatever it is, and reach out to somebody that you haven't spoken to in a few weeks and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call to let those people know matter in your life uh, because it's important you know and in the last few weeks we've lost a lot of people yeah. in the theater community in the uh, music business uh, in the cabaret world um, we're all uh, connected and we need to never ever ever forget that and Will I thank you again for all that you've done and I am going to leave and turn it over to you and you've got the great uh, you've got the last word and uh, please stay in touch because I want to talk to you. God okay? bless you. We're going to talk. Okay, it's all yours. Oh, God bless you. Well, listen, you talk about gener generosity. Generosity of spirit, Richard, you embody that. And uh, you embody that like like no one else I know. And you continue to show up, you do the work, and you give this beautiful safe space for artists to talk. 
and to speak with and have a conversation with something, you know, I hope our country and world will do more of in the future. But when you mention generosity, I can't help to think about the experience with my twin brother, Anthony, that became a full circle moment and, you know, culminated, I think, our whole performing career in life at that point. When I got to thank Downstage Center at Carnegie Hall, co-headlining Carnegie Hall with the New York Pops and my brother, thanking our parents, thanking our friends, thanking our teachers, our teachers, our teachers. Our teachers are some of the most important people in our life. And it's because of the teachers of my life. I've, I was able to have a career as a performer in that I'm able to have a career as a director because I've learned that not only not only, I get emotional thinking about it, here we go, but I'll get through it. Uh, not only are our teachers the ones that we learn from in school, but our teachers are the people in our lives that if we allow ourselves to take a breath and, and be open to it, that we have teachers all around us, you know? And I'm grateful to you, Richard, for again, creating the safe space for artists I can't wait to see what you do next. And I'm grateful to all of you who were watching. I see all of your comments. I see each and every one of your comments. I see so many beautiful people that I know in this room and I'm sending you all love, all light and um, continue to watch Richard and support this amazing show and this amazing man. And I hope everyone has an incredible, incredible night.